0: Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Professor Eric Cam, professor of macroeconomics at uh, Toronto Metropolitan University. Let me just say this before we get into all of this, what we're going to talk with uh, Professor Cam about. Just got another text uh, for, uh, to one 9898 from a listener in uh, Alberta. Here's a, a list of athletes. Brian Budd, George Chavallo, Mark Messier, George Reed, the great number 34. we the Rough Riders in Saskatchewan. And then he writes, Mike has it. Number one is Terry Fox. Yes, sir. So, uh, Professor Cam, I know we're going to talk finances. We're going to talk the economic realities this country is facing but do you want to get at the uh, whole idea of uh, your favorite hockey player, the athlete you most admire?
1: You know, hi, Roy. Yeah, I was thinking as you were having that segment that I like to chime in on sports a little bit. Sure. And give you two other names that, uh, look, from my youth, of course, you know, Bobby Orr, Wayne Gretzky, and Guy Lafleur were my Mount Rushmore. And I love them, and, you know, they'll always have such, such a special place. But as I got older... I started to understand the value of volunteerism and what it means to lead your country when you don't have to. And so for me, the two players that come, jump out at me uh, will forever be Joe Sackick and Jonathan Taves, who not only were multiple Stanley Cup winners, but were multiple gold medal winners for Canada. And one, they got paid for and paid well, and I have no problem with that. But when it comes to the Olympics, that's effectively volunteerism. And we know, even going back to 1972, it wasn't always that Canadians were dying to play for their country. So I think about Sackett and Taves as just two examples of players that I would call Captains Canada.
0: Yeah. I'm going to mention somebody who never played for Canada, but, and I tweeted about him earlier this week. He's the great um, uh, Rice. What's, what's his first name? Um, the Boston Red Sox. Thing. Just oh, Jim name. Rice. Jim yeah, Rice. Yeah, you, it just disappeared. You, so Jim Rice. Uh, They're, they're, you know, superb player, only played for the Red Sox, a little boy was hurt um, during a game and Jim Rice got through the fence to get to the kid, because the emergency workers couldn't have gotten there in time, picked him up, got him back into the dugout. The Red Sox medical crew started working on the little boy, they got him to the hospital, They saved his life. He became a very successful businessman, but at the time, his family was not very well off. They didn't have the money to really pay for all the treatments the little boy wanted, and Jim Rice paid the whole medical bill.
1: I was so glad you posted that because, as you know, I love sports history and sports trivia. I remember that event. He never got the credit he deserved as a humanitarian or a baseball player, and we could do two segments or three on what I think of the Baseball Hall of Fame and why it shouldn't even exist as it is now, because it's neither a hall nor fame, because the best baseball players of the last thirty years aren't in it, including Jim Rice, who should have been in that Hall of Fame thirty years ago. Roy,
0: I'll take you another one. We'll get to we'll get to the economy momentarily. The Canadian or the the, the Hockey Hall of Fame. The the fact that Paul Henderson is not in the Hockey Hall of Fame is an absolute shameful reality. It's the Hockey Hall of Fame, not the Hockey Hall of Lifetime Achievement. And he was a great hockey player. He wouldn't have made that 72 team if he weren't. But he scored the winning goal in all three of the last games against the Soviets in 1972 when this country was sitting on the edge of the Wherever you were sitting and biting your nails, the whole country just went berserk when he won the winning, uh, scored the winning goal in in game eight. He's a good, good person. I'm going to say this. I've never told this story. I'm going to tell it really briefly. Just what kind of person Paul Henderson is. When my wife was dying of cancer, he called me every day. Every single day. Paul Henderson called me at home. And he's, he's been battling cancer for a long time himself. Every single day, Paul called me to see how Liana was and how I was. I I, I'll never forget. And the fact, uh, Eric, that he's not been inducted into the Hall of Fame, that entire team should be in the Hall of Fame. But most certainly, Paul Henderson, because the guy he scored the winning goals on, Vladislav
1: Treciak, love, Tretiak, he's in the Hall of Fame. Not just that, Roy, because I agree with you 100%, but since we got into this, um, again, a humanitarian, a hockey player, I don't think a lot of people listening today understand what that 72 series meant. I thought of it this week with the passing of George Kohan, the person who effectively brought capitalism to Russia, and that 72 series brought the marriage of hockey in Canada to hockey in the Soviet Union. And Paul Henderson was its star. There's two things criminal. Number one is he's not in the Hall of Fame. It is not the NHL Hall of Fame. It's the Hockey Hall of Fame. And number two is what I'm really dreading, Roy, is he's going to get in one day, God forbid, posthumously. Yes. And that will absolutely break my Canadian heart.
0: Yes, indeed. And I've asked him, do you know where those sticks are that you scored those winning goals with? Do you know where the sticks are? He knows where one is. You know, I think he knows where two is. He has one, I think one of his grandchildren has another one, but he has no idea where the third one is.
1: Hey, Roy. Yeah. Just a quick story for you about Team Canada. Sure. Last year, last year for my daughter's birthday, we went to a very popular establishment that serves steaks and has three letters in its name. And at the table beside us was, um, who was it? Uh, Frank Mahovlich. And I said to my dad, I said, I got to do this. I waited till Mr. Mahovlich finished his dinner, paid his bill, and he was standing up. And I went over to take a picture. And I said, would you mind? And he said, no, I'd be honored. And he looked at me and he said, how do you know me? And I said, my God, you're Frank Mahovlich." And he said, I don't find young people know their hockey history anymore. And I, I, I didn't know whether to laugh or cry because at the time I was 55 years old and I wasn't young. But does anybody go to a restaurant and not know Frank Mahavolich or Paul Henderson or Ken Dryden? I mean, I guess because they're the heroes of my youth. I mean, we could just do this all day. But please, one day, let's start a petition. Get Henderson in the Hall of Fame while the man is still on the planet to enjoy it. You know, I worked on that on the air for years. I had Paul on the
0: air. He, I think he's resigned now to the fact that there's there's some movement within the uh, within the uh, the judges and the uh, the, nominate, the nominators. There's something that's just not right. It's like it it smells. But Paul Anderson is not in the Hockey Hall of Fame. Let me just tell you one more quick story, and I, I may have told this before, but don't stop me because if you've heard it before, because I want to hear it again. Um, I was I was a kid. I just started out in radio. I was 16 years of age, and uh, I was spinning records. That's before I got on the air, which happened three weeks after I started in radio. But uh, but there was a story in Montreal. I was in Montreal. The Jean Beliveau was on the trading block because Sam Pollock. Was somehow not happy with the way Beliveau was playing. Number four. This is the legend. The, the legend. And I wrote a, a sixteen-year-old's version of an indignant letter, Eric. And I sent it to. Um, I sent it to Sam Pollock, and I sent another copy of it to Jean Bellevaux. I got their address through however I did it. And, and I self-importantly wrote something like, I'm in the studio at CKGM was the radio station at the time. These hours on the weekend and I expect to hear from you to Pollock, right? I don't hear from Pollock, but I'm in the studio one morning, just spinning the discs and the phone rings. And I pick it up and I say, hello. And I hear that voice, Mr. Green, please. And I said, oh my God. Oh, my God, it's him. It's him, and it was him. And he said, I just wanted to call, and thank you so much for the courtesy of your letter. Thank you so much. And uh, and then he was gone. I thought that was such an incredibly generous thing to do, and it really helped me for the rest of my life. It taught me a lesson. It taught me a lesson for life.
1: I Know that some people don't like meeting their heroes, but I do. Um, but that notwithstanding, you can meet them. You can, you know, as you get older, they get older. But those people, and I know you know exactly the people I'm talking about. They will, they were, they are immortal in your mind forever. When we lost Bossy and Lafleur in oh one week, God. it took. I mean, I I actually did cry because that's what I do when I lose my heroes. But they're immortal. And whether I meet them or I don't, it doesn't matter. They're larger than life, and I want them to stay that way because I don't care how old you are or what generation it is, Roy, um, young people need heroes. And mine shot pucks and threw footballs and baseballs. And so I love each and every one of them and I just let them be immortal in my mind. Okay, I can't stop now. We're gonna to have to take a break, but I have to tell you this story.
0: 1972, same year, I'm working in Calgary. I'm just a kid, I just, you know, my very early 20s. And, I, and I'm and I'm working at CHQR Radio. And Muhammad Ali had just gotten his boxing license back after being suspended for three years because he wouldn't go to uh, fight in, in Vietnam. And so he was touring North America and he was fighting these palookas. Uh, two or three fights every night, wherever he went. Three rounders, boom, boom, boom. The guys were gone. So he comes into the radio station. It was all arranged. He went in, and Roy Jacks, who was a television person at the time, as well as doing radio, he was the host. And Ali went in, and it was all set up. Ali and he were going to argue about things, and then Ali was going to say at some point, I'm out of here. I'm not putting up with this. While this is going on, and I've been an Ali fan since Great 10, Eric, at this point, and I get to talk to Angelo Dundee. And uh, who's his legendary manager. And he's telling me stories about Ali. And I'm just, I'm just answering. Like, he, he knew very quickly that I really knew what I was talking about when it came to Ali. And Ali came out of the studio. Now, I'm 6'1". And at the time, I probably weighed about 225 pounds. I'm about around 235, 240 now. And, uh, but he came out of the studio. And, and so I'm a big guy. And he was a couple of inches taller than me. And he was lighter than me. He was, I think he was around 215. And we shook hands, and I looked at him, and he said, he said to me, no, you couldn't. He knew what I was thinking. I was thinking, he's not that big. Maybe if I put on gloves, (laughs) I could take this guy. And he just looked at me, and he said, no, you couldn't. I'm sure he had that encounter thousands of times. He was my hero. If I have a sports hero, it's Ali.
1: And if my father was, my father is with us, he's 79 years old, doing well. And this conversation of greatest athletes, favorite athletes, my father has no time for it. He says, the answer is Muhammad Ali. Drop the mic, conversation over.
0: Right on. You told us uh, last weekend that Canada's economy is in the worst situation that it's been since 1929. And I'd like you to follow up on that, please, with us. And it's interesting because um, Global News Reporting Canada's economy shrank in quarter three, data shows, but no technical recession, say the, uh, the experts. So just, just tell us what's going on.
1: What's going on is a lot of negative numbers, Roy. Um, I, I pulled them off the Statistics Canada webpage this week for people. And just, you know, here's the, here's the greatest hits. GDP growth rate, annual growth rate, current account, which is the trade balance, government debt to GDP, government budget all negative, all heading in the wrong direction, which tells you that whether you're a demand-side person or a supply-side person, the economy is shrinking. Any excess demand that had been built up over the last 20, 30 years of low interest rates is effectively gone. And so when you combine that, for me, with the expectations of very slow, if any, job creation to support the labor force, it makes you wonder, what's the growth driver? What does this government believe they've put into place to drive the economy. And to me, I can only see one thing, and it's immigration. Now, I'm all for immigration, but as, an, as a growth driver, Roy, as a growth strategy, it's a loser every time. And so I said that last week, and I guess now we're looking good because people have jumped on it and they're, they're saying that I was right, is just that when you look at any of the macroeconomic statistics or variables or leading indicators, they're all negative. So I don't know what people want to grab onto when they want to see some positives. You asked me last week, where are we going to be in a year? Mm -hmm. I think we're going to be here with lower employment. That's where I think we're going to be. Because as I said, this is not a physics lab. Economics takes time to work. And right now, the only thing our government has its pedal to the metal is on the green initiative and what's going on at that COP or whatever it is, which is all very interesting. But not helping anybody living in their car, Roy.
0: No, it isn't. And the fact that Canadians, Canadian families, uh, have to choose between shelter or among shelter, food and clothing, because they can't afford all three. And Canadians are telling pollsters they don't have a great deal of optimism about our economy improving. You have that psychological impact as well. How much does that that, uh, matter?
1: It matters huge. It's what doesn't get talked about, the psychological scarring effect of unemployment and poverty and displacement. It is absolutely huge, and I'm actually glad you brought it up because we can throw around numbers all day. Right now, luckily, it takes very little to find a bunch of negative numbers that reflect our economy. But I'd like people to remember, I'll tell them what I tell my students, economics is a social science. It's about people. And so when you see negative numbers, those negative numbers, what they are really are hungry kids, homeless people, people that can't pay their rent, people that can't put food on their table. That's what those negative numbers are. And for some reason, our liberal government is ignoring this completely. And again, when people say to me, why do you support Mr. Polyev? Do I think he's perfect? No. But he's the only person talking about these things. And right now, that's one better and the prime minister. Yeah, and it's
0: scary too that we have uh, provincial governments,
1: literally, well,
0: almost literally, at war with the federal government. We have the premier of Alberta, and we'll be speaking with one of her senior ministers tomorrow about this, uh, describing the uh, Trudeau government as "quote lawless," end quote. And Stephen Gilbo is going on in uh, in uh, Dubai. As though he's got everything under control. No, he's not. Mr. Gilbo should be removing himself from, from his ministerial duties because he's just a, he, he's, he's a, such a negative impact on, on, on people's confidence. And no, no, nobody, I shouldn't say nobody, but most of the people I talk to, don't listen to him anymore. They have no time to listen to him.
1: They should listen to Scott Moe. He's on your show. Yeah,
0: or... he is with us quite a bit. Yes, yes.
1: Yeah. Yes. And he says, at some point, I'm just going to have to start making my own rules because the prime minister's rules are killing average families. And he's 100% right. And maybe because they've just thrown their cards in the table and they know that it's over. But for some reason, the prime minister and his group just do not seem to be responding to any of the economic incentives that exist right now. And I think that's criminal.
0: You know, all we have to do really is wait until the 1st of January because Bill 151... In the Saskatchewan legislature, now gives the option to uh, their power um, uh, administrators. I don't want to call them bureaucrats to not collect the carbon tax, and uh, and they're protected by the legislation. So the premier Premier Mo is taking uh, Ottawa on head on, and uh, Premier Smith is not far behind. Dr. Cam, it's always a pleasure today, particularly. Thank you so much.
1: Premier Ford's not far behind either. Stay healthy, Roy. You too. If you want to hear
0: more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.